Well, yeah, that's like he, he told me that he's so afraid. He said, you know, I don't it's not that I want a divorce. You know, I don't want that to happen. But, um, you know, and, and he said, you know, I'm terrified that if you don't commit to your recovery and if you don't commit to getting and staying sober, I'm terrified that, you know, one day I'm going to drive, you know, around the corner and you're going to be that one sitting on the corner begging to feed your addiction. That was Corey Burgess. And this is the Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today we have Corey Burgess joining us on the show. And Corey has just an amazing and beautiful story. She's such a sweetheart. Her voice is so endearing, and it just pulls you right in. And it's hard to imagine all of the things that she went through and all of the places she went in her addiction, because today she's an entirely different person with an entirely different life. She's a very active member in the Share Recovery community. She's just recently celebrated one year of sobriety, and she is awesome. I know you're going to love this episode. So let's dive into Corey's episode, but first a quick message from our sponsors. Are you ready to take control of your business, family, and personal life? Are you ready to get clear, get focused, and get results now? Are you ready to boost your confidence through the roof? Well, it's time to level up and add passion, fulfillment, and purpose back into your life right now. My name is Omar Pinto, and I am a certified NLP life coach specializing on enhancing your business, family, and personal life, as well as a certified peer-to-peer recovery specialist who specializes in addiction recovery. Let me show you how to create balance, harmony, and success into your life daily. Go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. Today's episode of The Share Podcast is brought to you by The Share Recovery Community. The Share Recovery Community is our new online recovery resource that offers online recovery meetings as well as peer-to-peer recovery support and coaching that will enhance your journey in recovery. If you find it difficult to make regular meeting attendance in your area or are unable to find the recovery meetings that fit your needs, then the Share Recovery Community is the perfect place for you. And the best part is you can try out the Share Recovery Community for the introductory rate of only $1 in the first month. And after that, it's only $12 a month. That once again include live online meetings, peer-to-peer support, and recovery coaching. So for more information about this amazing recovery resource, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. Go to the top of the navigation bar and click on the button that says Share Recovery Community and join the Share Recovery Community for only $1 today. And if you'd like to contribute to the Share Podcast by putting a dollar in the virtual basket, then go to www.thesharepodcast.com. Go to the top right corner of the page and click on the button that says Donate and drop a dollar in the basket today. And if you'd like to access another free resource as powerful or even more powerful than the Share Podcast, 
then join us in the Share Recovery Network. It is our free private Facebook group that is active 24-7 from people all over the world. If you're seeking recovery, then go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R, Recovery Network, and join this free recovery resource today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Corey. Thanks for joining us. Hey, O. Thanks for having me. I am super excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm a little bit nervous, not going to (laughs) lie. I love that you're outdoors, though. It looks beautiful over there. Uh, It is. I'm in the Seattle area, and it's uh, very warm for us, but it's fantastic weather. Can't complain. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, for Seattle, the sun out. Uh, I know, the elusive Seattle sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Every time the sunshine comes out, everybody so does everybody in Seattle. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's why I'm sitting outside. (laughs) Well, good for you. Good for you. That's fantastic. What time is it over there? Um, it is 4, 10 PM. So how much light you got? Um, gosh, we'll probably have it. I think sun setting around eight 30 tonight, nine o'clock, something like that. Yeah. I forgot what it was like. I used to live in California. Ah. I forgot what it was like to have sunlight at eight o'clock at night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over here in Costa Rica, it's six o'clock up, six o'clock down. 12 mm-hmm. and 12 every day, you know, the whole year round. So, <laughs> anyway, that's cool. It gives you an extra couple hours outside. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. All right. So, folks, today we have Corey Burgess joining us on the Share Podcast. And Corey sent me an email a little while back. Actually, she Facebook messaged me because I was having a tough time finding the email that did not exist. So she sent me a, a Facebook message, says, I've been an avid listener since getting out of treatment August 2016. As many of our stories go, I had a few relapses, and by the grace of God, I will celebrate one year on June 13th. So Corey sent this to me before she had one year. Uh, I would love at some point to share my story with you and the rest of your listeners. Thank you for your dedication and service to the recovery community. That sound about right, Corey? That sounds about right. <laughs> all right. All right. Excellent. So anyway, uh, just so you know, um, Corey, uh, many of, of my listeners, the Share Podcast listeners, love stories from people, real stories from real people, right, that don't have a book, that you know aren't in a movie, you know what I mean, uh, that are just like you and me battled through drugs and alcohol, came out the other side, and we're here today to share our story, where in many cases, um, we wouldn't have the platform, right? So right. so this will give you an opportunity for your story to hit thousands of listeners. So this is... Oh, don't tell me that. You're going to make me nervous. <laughs> 
That was intentional. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we start diving into your story, tell us a little bit about what your normal daily routine looks like, including recovery. All right. Um, Well, you know, I try to keep myself busy. Um, Wake up in the morning, typically start out with, uh, you know, meditation, um, daily reflections, um, you know, praying, walking the dogs. We don't have kids, so we have the furry kids. Um, The fur child. And Yes, the fur child. (laughs) The um, (laughs) three of them, too, so they keep us busy. and, uh, and I'm a massage therapist. Um, and so then, you know, I'm, I'm off to work. Um, and, uh, I typically try to pick up a 7am meeting on my way into work. I really like hitting up, you know, the noon meetings, but my schedule doesn't always allow that. And so, um, you know, starting my day off with a, with a meeting is just, just fantastic. I heard it at a speaker meeting, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, she said, I like to have the answers before the test. And mm. I was like, Oh, I like that. I really I like, like that, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got to remember that. <laughs> um, and, uh, then, you know, I'm, I'm at work and massage therapists, our, our schedules are, they can be erratic. Um, they can be long they can be short. They can be a bizarre day. <laughs> um, but, um, I'm very open about my, my recovery mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it gives me the opportunity to, um, meet, you know, a lot of people to talk with a lot of people. Um, and I, I work with, um, I specialize in, in working with injuries, um, injury patients. And so I have the opportunity to tell them, you know, look, I, I get it. I know, um, I know what you're going through. I know what you feel because I have a history of, you know, chronic pain and Mm -hmm. in injuries and stuff. And, um, so I have an opportunity to use that in really in my daily life. Um, which I love and I'm very grateful for. (laughs) Um, I couldn't say that a while ago, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I come home, I'm married, um, and, uh, we, we've, uh, we have some homework from our pastor right now. We have to eat dinner at the dinner table (laughs) together, facing each other. (laughs) We have to talk about our day, (laughs) um, (laughs) because we definitely fell out of, you know, out of that routine for a while. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that's a part of our day. Um, and, uh, you know, evening meetings, I, I don't go to as many as I, I used to, because I, I realize you know, I have to, I have to juggle the, um, the wife and I, the wife life, and I have mm-hmm. to juggle the recovery life. And mm-hmm. sometimes that means that, you know, I'm going to more meetings in the morning than mm-hmm. it does in the afternoon or in the evening. And, um, and so I'm learning how to balance that right now. <laughs> Um, I also, um, during the, the fall season, fall, winter, spring, um, I'm in the choir at church. So, you know, I have choir practice, um, which I, I love that I've been able to get back involved in that since being in recovery. Um, and then at some point I go to bed, eventually I'll fall asleep, (laughs) you know, after, um, I, I tend to get, uh, 
uh, caught up at, uh, you know, staring at Facebook, unfortunately. I know. I know. Um, so that's my, that's my weakness right now. Yeah. <laughs> working on that. Working yeah. on that. I'm um, working on a, I'm working on a few of the things that you're working on here. Cause this is, this is an amazing, <laughs> and here's the thing too. I always, I like to point out the fact that, um, idle time is the devil's workshop. So what I find is that the people that seem to be the happiest, that have the most fulfilled lives, that have, you know, good marriages, right? Good communication with their spouses, have a very active, uh, a positively active uh, schedule and routine. Uh, participating in the choir, homework from the past, or eating together. That's uh, you know what I, my wife and I we do that we we have breakfast together and you know we stare across from each other and we have conversation, but I always have the phone next to me, right? So if there's <laughs> any like little notifications then I'm like, bloop, right? And so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there is there is an addiction, right? To to that phone, right? And to social media and the the need to contribute, and so there is that. Yeah, it's a huge, huge um, balancing act because especially for someone like me who everything is done via social media, via Facebook, um, via online, that I am constantly online. And so there is that need to disconnect. Um, and so, yeah, I like I, I also because here it is. I'm listening to you. Tell me about your daily routine. I'm reminding myself, ooh, what if I just left the phone away from the table? This looks like a good homework <laughs> assignment. I like this one. I like, uh-huh. my, wife, my wife would like that one. <laughs> and, then, and then the other thing that I noticed, too, is that as a massage therapist, specialize in injury patients, which means these guys are in recovery. So they're recovering from an injury. So it's, right. it's, it's very, like you say, it's synonymous in the sense that, you know, while they're talking about what they're going through and who knows what it was that put them there in the first place, what was, what was the determining factor or what was the behavior that led to the injury or, you know, what exactly happened to you? Um, and then the trauma that comes after the fact and then dealing with the pain. Because at some point, depending on the injury, the pain could be so excruciating that at some point it's like, well, I'm going to need some meds. And wow, down the rabbit hole we go. So how long have you been doing this type of therapy? Um, I have been practicing for just over three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I'm a massage therapist and I'm certified in craniosacral. Um, and I actually... Um, what is that? I got <laughs> uh, craniosacral is a very light touch body work. Um, okay. It's it's used with about five grams of pressure or the weight of a nickel, mm-hmm. um, and it, it helps to encourage the body to find its homeostasis. Um, you know, we're we're feeling or, or you know listening to however you want to um, put it. Um, you know, the body's natural rhythm and, and encouraging, you know, the, the patient or the client on the table, um, to, you know, get back to a point where the body can go into its healing mode. Um, and it does oftentimes deal 
with uh, or you bring up um, emotional traumas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, repressed memories. Mm-hmm. And I actually found that for myself when I was going through my training in craniosacral, that ended up putting me deeper into my addiction because there was stuff that I hadn't dealt with in my past mm. that I had no idea about. And wow. so it's really, really interesting how that ended up, you know, being a driving force of ultimate, ultimately me finding recovery, but then also being able to help, you know, the patients that I see on a daily basis. So we're talking about energy work, energy healing, holistic medicine. Is that mm-hmm. what we're talking about here? Similar to Reiki? Um, it's it's similar. People, yeah, if if people know what Reiki is, then then yeah, I guess you could you could say that that's similar to that. Um, it, I guess kind of the best way to describe it would be like a cross between energy work and body work. Yeah, okay. It makes sense cuz with with Reiki you're not actually touching the body. It's all energy work with probably about an inch or half an inch away from the body, where this is just very light pressure, but you're actually touching the skin, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Okay. And, you know, how are you enjoying it? Like, what, what you know, like, uh, you've been doing it for three years. That's a, that's a long, that's a substantial amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. So you must be getting some fulfillment from the work. I love it. Love I it? absolutely love it. Um, you know, I have people who say, gosh, don't you get bored, you know, going to, to work every day. And it's like, you do the same thing day in and day out. I'm like, no, it's not boring at all because I get to have a conversation with someone's Mm -hmm. body every day. And I Mm -hmm. never know what's going to come out of that. Um, and, and to be able to have someone who maybe can't even stand up straight, you know, kind of hobbling into, into my room. And then by the end of that session, you're like, wow, I can feel a difference, you know, or my headache's gone or, you know, just something, something like that. And I'm like, it, it's just, it baffles my mind, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm there doing it and mm-hmm. it, it just, I love it. I love it. Yes. No. And, and it couldn't possibly, every single one of us is different. Every single one of us has different injuries. Every single one of us has different pain, different trauma, different experiences. So uh-huh. each time, each new client is an opportunity for a new journey, a new adventure, right? And a new opportunity for you to learn something, right? So uh, yeah, I, wouldn't even, I would not imagine it gets boring. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. So real quick, um, the... Since we're on the topic of energy, right, uh, one of my questions is how do you maintain your spiritual condition, the conscious contact with a higher power? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going to church is very important to to me. I actually grew up going to church. Um, however, my husband and I strayed away from that mm-hmm. um, as as adults and kind of as that often happens. And, um, we, it was uh, just over a year ago that we got back into the habit of going to church and, um, and that has just made a world of difference, you know, in, in my recovery. Um, and that was actually when I finally started asking God not to help me stay sober, but asking God to lift the obsession Mm. of the drink. I'd never done that before. And, um, 
and so you know between um going to church you know being involved in you know the service work and um mm-hmm. and volunteering there with the and you know with the choir and meditating and and praying um and then just grounding you know grounding myself standing outside barefoot if i need to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you know taking uh you know taking a uh, just an inventory, you know, of myself, you know, head to toe. Yeah, so, it, um, yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. And, uh, I would say that for the most part, based on all your activities, you're connected in different ways all day long throughout the week, whether, you know, if you're in church or if you're at a meeting or you're doing energy healing with your patients, Everything requires a level of connection to the universe, to your higher power, to God. Um, mm-hmm. However, however that manifests itself, but there is a a necessary component of spirituality for you to perform, right? And 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 for that real change to happen. So, like when you went back to church, and so there was this. Uh, was it the meetings that allowed you? To bridge the gap or vice versa like where which one was was it allowed you to kind of bridge the gap and go back to to church um you know it's actually kind of funny because our our neighbors who live just two doors down from us um they you know they watched us go through um you know and i say us because relapse is you know it it affects the family. And so it was a, a relapse for both my husband and I. Um, and, and it was our neighbors that invited us to come to ah, church okay. with us <laughs> or with them. And because my husband and I grew up in church and we're like, Oh no, we turned into those people. <laughs> that, you know, now we're being asked to go to church. <laughs> And it was, it was a humbling experience and it was also very eye-opening. Um, and also it was at that point that, um, I decided to, you know, take a look at, um, okay, obviously whatever I've been doing in my recovery, there's something missing, you know, there's something that just hasn't been working out. So, you know, what, what's that missing key. And, um, and so for me, it was the spirituality, it was the faith. And, um, I did then also start going to celebrate recovery. Um, and, and so for a time I made a switch in focusing on, um, on that and, and that really helped as well in just trying to reset my mind and, you know, figure out what was missing from, from my program. Um, and, you know, my sponsor's always been, um, really good about reminding me that, um, you know, there's no right or wrong way, um, to do recovery. You know, my recovery program does not look like your recovery program and that's not right or wrong. That's just because we're different. And, um, you know, having that, that reminder has been, incredibly encouraging for me over the last two years, two plus years. You know, what I love about your sponsor's message is the idea of truly embracing the idea, the concept, the philosophy of being open-minded because Mm -hmm. our spiritual principles 
our honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, right? And so as a newcomer, as a newcomer, those three elements are, are paramount, right? So I have to be honest with myself. I have to be honest with my sponsor. I have to be open-minded to new ideas, and I have to be willing to do the work. But what happens is, in some cases, is as we f- get further along in recovery, right, we may stay honest and willing, but the open-mindedness starts to wane a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking outside of the fellowship sometimes gets frowned upon, right? Where it's right. like, well, you're always going to be an alcoholic. So, I mean, you can do all this other stuff, but don't forget, you know, this is what works. And so mm-hmm. what, what I love is that you're a seeker, you're searching. And I went to church, I went to celebrate recovery, I went to AA, I got a sponsor, right? I joined the choir, right? Because I realized that something was missing. So the message, the takeaway to our listeners right now is if you are not happy or if something is missing, if if you feel like there's some piece of the puzzle that just you just can't find it and you know you're not connecting the way you should in whatever pathway you're doing then seek and search go out there and just get involved with as many recovery pathways as you can until you find that missing puzzle piece there's a there's a um, when i interviewed don nickel from she recovers she remembered a she mentioned a book that I still haven't read. She, she made me promise to read it and I haven't. I think it's called Patchworks. The philosophy behind that is to take what you need and leave the rest. So go out and seek. Go to different don't go and seek out different pathways, different recovery options, right? And then start to piece together the elements that you like from each one of these, right? To create something that's sustainable, something that that where you realize, ah, the puzzle pieces are are, are now in place. Um, so that's that's the key takeaway I want to take away from this. That it's so important that when you get this feeling that something is missing, pay attention to that voice, and and continue to seek. Don't don't be like, oh God, well, defeatist. Nothing's. This isn't working. Recovery is not for me, right? And and that happens. <laughs> Self pity. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway. Right. All right. So that, that that was my message. Okay. So now moving forward. Uh, so then your anniversary date is uh, June thirteenth, right? Yes. June thirteenth, two thousand seventeen. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. and celebrated less than a month ago, one year. Yeah. Yeah. So today I had, and I looked up before, before this, so today I have 413 days. Actually, you've already done your, 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 it would have been the 13th. So July 13th is one month after that. So yeah, it's been one year, one month and some days, right? How many days? 400 and what? 413 days. I love it. I love it. Okay. So before we dive into your story, tell us briefly what it was like the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how did they make you feel? Um, you know, I was given my first 
um, prescription for um, opiates, so actually Oxycontin, when I was 12. Um, <laughs> oh <laughs> so. I'm so, <laughs> trying to keep it clean here. This is church going woman here, but I mean, I'm like, WTF. <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> so let's see the first time using, that's a good question. That was a long time ago. <laughs> um so i i guess there's about what 18 19 years of just haziness haziness in there Um, what was that wait they gave you oxycontin at 12 yeah for what um i have scoliosis Uh, yeah and uh, so i have a fused spine mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and so i had um I had spinal fusion not long after that, a couple of years after that. Um, but so this was what, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. And when, you know, Oxycontin was still the, the miracle drug, mm-hmm, I believe mm-hmm. they, be- yeah. they thought that it was still non-addictive at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um you know this was before it was time released so um i was i was pretty much given open open scripts for it um between that and vicodin and um yeah <laughs> okay all right uh, well, well yeah okay uh, we're gonna <laughs> lead with all that you know it's funny because i have one of my very first interviewee uh of all time uh sophie sophie g that was her thing she had scoliosis tremendous amount of pain she had a fused back and opiates opiates just i mean complete down she's a she's a miracle she's a miracle um so yeah i have a i have a feeling where this is going so at this point <laughs> corey <laughs> It is time for me to turn the show over to you. Time for you to share your story, the battle with drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Corey, please take it away. Um, all right. Uh, well, um, so I, I, I come from um, a line of addicts. Um, I believe we... We think I'm either a third or fourth generation addict um, that we know of, um, but you know that was I, so. I was around, you know, alcohol and and um, growing up. By, I grew up in a small town, though, so you know that's kind of uh, what people did was they drank and there were drugs around, and I didn't think anything of it because that was just the way I grew up, you know. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but, um, um, I actually, I've recently been working with my therapist to, um, you know, bring up some of these, um, issues from my childhood. And I'm, I'm recognizing that there are a lot of things that I grew up as normal that aren't normal. Um, one of them being, uh, driving my dad's pickup truck home from the neighbors, which was only a mile down the road, you know, on a dirt road, but still, um, when I was like, I don't know, eight or nine years old because he couldn't drive 
And so, you know, that's the responsible thing to do. You don't drive. <laughs> so instead you have your eight-year-old child do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Learning some but, valuable uh, skills. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mom is a breast cancer survivor. Um, and so I did at some point start dealing with depression um, early on in my childhood. I think um, actually, you know what? Um, so I was diagnosed with scoliosis on a Thursday and the very next day, uh, Friday, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Jeez, oh, um, horrible. So, you know, it was just, it was back to back. And um, so this was at the end of, end of seventh grade. Yeah, I think end of seventh grade or beginning of eighth, somewhere around in there. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm an only child and um, watching, watching my mom go through that. And she's, like I said, she's a breast cancer survivor. So she, you know, she fought and she won that battle. Um, but as a child watching my, my mom go through that, um, I can recognize now how um, traumatic that was, even though I wasn't, you know, the one going through breast cancer. Well, rather, even though I was not the one with breast cancer, um, you know, I can recognize that, again, you know, it's a family disease. It affects us all. Um, and I think that really, that's kind of where my battle started, even though I had not used drugs or drank alcohol at that point. But that's where my, um, uh, I guess... I guess you could say that's where my emotional sobriety started going downhill, even though I didn't know about emotional sobriety. <laughs> um, and I, I became incredibly depressed uh, during that point. Um, you know, as with a lot of us, there's suicidal idealizations um, to the point where and I, I did not have any attempts, um, but it, I didn't have an attempt because my mom said the words that I needed to hear at that time. And that was that she was so grateful for me, you know, as a 13 year old child to be there, you know, while she was getting sick in the bathroom. Um, it makes me tear up just, you know, thinking back to that. Um, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we so, welcome, you know, my we welcome the tears here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I teared up this morning on my way to work, like thinking about thinking about this and thinking about uh, all the things that I, that really were going to come up with, um, you know, just memories and stuff. And, and it's okay for me to remember that stuff. It's good for me to remember it because that's, that's what good. keeps me where I am today. Yep. Um, but, uh, so, you know, my, my mom's okay today. Um, and so it was probably within, I don't know, the next month, nine months or so that my back pain went significantly downhill, um, or, you know, really increased. And that's when I was given the, um, prescription to, um, Oxycontin. Um, I was a very, uh, I'm very tall. I'm six foot. I'm, I was very awkward. I, <laughs> I'm sitting down so you can't tell. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, I was very self-conscious 
growing up. Um, and so I learned quickly that, um, you know, drugs make you feel not so self-conscious uh-huh. because they help, they help to numb. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was my freshman year of high school when I learned that, oh, people like you more if you have drugs and what you can make money off of this stuff too. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that's how I started out <laughs> high school. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> so, uh, it's part of the story. It's part of the story. Yeah. Part of the story. <laughs> um, and, uh, and gosh, it was, um, I think, probably over the next year and a half that that just um, progressively got worse. You know, my back pain got worse and then I was, um, you know, taking more and more pills. And then, you know, eventually I got to the point where I was, I was in tears. I mean, you know, you, you shouldn't be 15 years old and waking up in absolute agony, you know, because you, and you don't want to go to school, not because you don't like school, but because it hurts to stand, it hurts to take a breath. Um, and so I, you know, finally got scheduled for surgery. Um, and you know, as with, as with that stuff as well, um, you know, depression hit me again. (laughs) Um, I don't think I ever really actually got out of um, my depression from my mom's experience. I think it was more of, well, she's healthy now. And so I just kind of kept pushing on. <laughs> um, but, um, then once I had my back surgery, I had complications. Um, and there were a few times that I almost died. Um, and my doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. Oh my God. Uh, so, you know, by this point I'm, I'm already, you know, addicted to opiates and, and they're, uh, I mean, they're giving me, you know, anything and everything under the sun just to keep me comfortable. I mean, you know, Darvacet, Lortab, you name it, I've been on it. <laughs> you know, a lot of those things aren't even on the market anymore because they're so harmful to your system. Yes. And, um, and they told my parents, well, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the addiction issue later, but they never did. Um, and so I was in the hospital for 60 days and nights. Um, I developed a very, very rare condition, um, that even still today, it's very rare. It's called, um, SMA syndrome. Um, and it's a GI and vascular condition. And at the time, I was one of 400 known cases ever in the world. Lord. <laughs> um, I don't remember a lot about that summer, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, they put me back on my Prozac, which was also probably a good thing. <laughs> um, and it was a, you know, it was a keep me comfortable. And they didn't know if I was going to survive the summer. Um. And, but, but, you know, one of the things that I do remember and looking back on it now, you know, this definitely should have been a huge, um, a huge warning sign for me was I remember, um, I was on a, the, you know, morphine pain pump 
and um, and I had a, a fentanyl pain patch as well. Um, <laughs> Dude, did you feel anything? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, damn. Let's cover all the bases. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I remember like laying in my hospital bed and I knew that I could push my pain pump every seven minutes Mm -hmm. and I'd watch, I'd watch the clock and I count seven minutes and then I'd hit my button. (laughs) And, and I, I don't think it was so much that, you know, I was in pain because yeah, most likely I didn't feel much then, but it, but that was, you know, that was the attic. That was my brain saying, I need this. And I know that every seven minutes I can push this button, whether I need it or not. Um, you know, whether I physically, I, you know, because of pain, I need it or not. And I was there. I was watching that clock. <laughs> Trust me. I can relate. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I... Gosh, I was released from the hospital and I started my junior year um, of high school in a back brace with a pick line and a feeding tube. Um, but I was I was determined to start my junior year and I did. Um, and, uh, you know, the the first thing that someone said to me um, was I wouldn't come to school if I were, if I were you. And she like, cause she, I didn't look very, <laughs> I didn't look very well, <laughs> but you know, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm so happy to be alive. Yeah. And yeah. that, that hurt. And then, you know, so all of that, like confidence of, oh my gosh, I'm happy to be alive. That just tore me down. <laughs> um, and I think that really sent me back into, I guess the, you know, the, self-confidence, um, just being a teenager, uh, man, I struggled with that, really struggled with that. Um, but you know, eventually, obviously I got well, um, I grew up in a college town. So at some point or another, um, uh, you know, alcohol took over as being, um, I guess the love of my life. (laughs) I don't, I don't really remember when I do remember, um, you know, stealing my parents' alcohol and, um, and drinking enough so that I could get the, um, the foggy feeling so that I could like sit on the recliner and just like move my head back and forth because I liked that feeling, you know, that like sludge feeling. And, you know, <laughs> most people hate that. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, well, yep. There. Not if you're I'm not. An addict, alcoholic. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, uh, you know, getting sick from, from alcohol that didn't deter me. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, when can I do it again? <laughs> you, know, it just... uh, you know, I'm curious, I'm curious because of the level of drugs that you were doing, the amount of drugs that you were on, the fentanyl, the oxy, right? The Vicodin. I mean, just tremendous, very strong drugs. Did you find that you had to drink more alcohol to get that buzz or? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. 
Yeah, so I mean, a- this is like a a few straight shots. Okay. To get okay. that, like you know, sludge feeling, you know. Okay. Um, so you were drinking straight hard liquor. Yeah, gin. <laughs> yeah. Ice on the rocks or neat? Oh, neat. neat. Oh man. <laughs> and how old were you? How old were you? Um, trying to think if I. But I'd already have my surgeries, so I was like 16, 16, oh. 17. 16 years old, drinking gin neat. That's what was there. There you go. Okay. All right. I was just creating the, the, the visual and the context. Go. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, and and eventually, you know, those those times turned into, um, you know, the the house parties. Of, like, I, you know, I like I said, I I'm an only child, but you know, my friends had older siblings, and we were in a college town, so alcohol was everywhere. Um, and uh, I actually, I actually remember when I was. Really before, um, you know, it was about the alcohol when it was still, you know, all about the opiates and stuff. I actually remember sitting on the couch at a friend's house and um, and my friends wanted me to take more pills because they said that I acted goofy and they wanted to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, you know, that, we didn't that, know. That sounds, that sounds about right. <laughs> right? That's, that's teenage... That's typical teenage behavior. I, 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 I'm not going to fault them for that. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, looking back on him, like we just we didn't know, no. you know, the the education that we were given in school about drugs and alcohol was the what just say no. Yeah, that was it. And then here's your red ribbon. And if you what wear your red ribbon on your T-shirt for five days in a row, then you get a pizza party. I mean, that was it. <laughs> so. Um, but, uh, you know, um, so I, I graduated high school <laughs> with, uh, uh, not a 4.0, um, but I did graduate, um, on the honor roll. Uh, so I kept up my grades. <laughs> wow. That yeah. is impressive. <laughs> you were determined. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that, that, that is a testament to determination. Mm-hmm. I was very determined. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I started college. Um, I went to a, a junior college for two years. Initially, I wanted to be um, a doctor because of how my doctor, my spine surgeon, helped me. Mm. Um, and after my first semester, of taking 18 semester units. And, um, I realized that I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. (laughs) And that was actually when I, um, I met my husband and, um, and you know, my priorities changed. Um, and so then I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll go to nursing school. Mm -hmm. Um, and in actually, you know, it was, it was during that time because I was so focused on, on school that, um, 
drinking and drugs definitely they took a back seat and i didn't i didn't even realize that that they did but you know i i had this total you know mind shift um and then it was more you know the the occasional like you know college party sort of thing um well or you know the weekend college party <laughs> or uh you know halloween parties and and all that stuff but um but yeah i just i you know i didn't have time for it um i got my my emt license um and so i was you know i was again i was determined um and then i got married and i moved two states away how old were you when you got married I was 19, <laughs> two weeks I, before I, my 20th birthday. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta throw that in there because I'm trying to keep up with everything that goes on because it's like lightning fast. But yeah. <laughs> All right, 19 years old, married. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moved two states away uh, to Washington for my husband's job, and um, and then, you know, I was left with this. Okay. Now what? Now what do what do I do? You know, I I didn't finish college because you know ultimately I I'm not a sit in class person. My mind I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> yeah, and um and so but you know I I knew that I I've always been in some sort of you know um in a health career health area. Um, I really liked helping people. And so I eventually, you know, got a job just working like front desk, um, you know, for a doctor's office. And um, but um, my husband's older than me. So although I was, you know, underage, um, he was of age. <laughs> and uh, and so then, you know, started drinking in the evenings after work. And then, you know, we noticed that, oh, okay, that, you know, it's getting a little, a little more than the occasional, you know, or the, the wine glass with dinner. And so we started doing the, okay, you know, only not on work nights, we're not going to drink on work nights. <laughs> the, the negotiation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and, you know, my, my husband was a lot better than, than I was at keeping to those, um, I guess those rules, keeping to those guidelines. Um, I was really good at, um, at he's, not fudging. <laughs> he's not, he's not an addict. He is not. Yeah. He is and, not. <laughs> and how much older is he than you? He's three and a half years older than me. Ah, okay. 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 So, all right. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. that much older. Okay. But not no, an addict no. either. Not an addict. Um, okay. And and we'll get to a comment about that a little okay. bit later. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I, I had a couple of uh, bad work environments over the next few years. Um, but my my husband, um, like some of his his coworkers, they um, were are you know, heavy drinkers, they party hard. And so, you know, on the weekends, there would be some, you know, serious parties going on there with a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. Um, we, 
ride motorcycles. There were a few times that I probably would have fallen off the back of my husband's motorcycle were it not for having a backrest. Wow. Um, wow. Got a little risky for everything that you've gone through with your back <laughs> to be tooling around yeah. the back of a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes into play again later uh, in my story as okay. well. <laughs> yeah. I see disaster ahead. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, so kind of as I, as I mentioned over the next few years, um, I, I did find myself in some very unhealthy work environments and um, those unhealthy work environments then pushed me to rely more heavily on my drinking. Um, you know, like I, I'd wake up in the morning sick to my stomach and not because, um, you know, because of the DTs or, you know, because of my, my work environment. And um, I was able to leave those work environments. Um, and then once I left my final unhealthy work situation in um, January of 2013, I decided that I was going to take a break from work so that I could get myself to a healthier mental state, which meant that I didn't have anything to do <laughs> during the day while my husband was at work. Oh boy. <laughs> Idle time. And yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now I can recognize that that is not the thing that I needed to do. And so, you know, I just, drink all day long. <laughs> um, I had a, a coworker who um, also left the work environment that we were in and, um, and she drank a lot as well. And so we would meet up on the, um, you know, on a walking trail with our dogs and, you know, we'd walk around the lake with our water bottles full of vodka and, who knows what for a dash of color in there. And um, actually, I think it was some point in those next couple of months that I got kicked out of the first bar or rather I, that I got cut off for the first time ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was at like our local bar where they mm. know me and they know that I'm within walking distance. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's pretty bad. And was it during the day? <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> like, isn't that why I tip you? <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, my, my husband, after probably, I don't know, maybe five months, four or five months of this, <laughs> he was like, you know, I think, I think you need to start looking for another job or go back to school. I think you need to decide what you want to do next. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um, so I started, you know, sending out my resume and, uh, and um, it was that, that month, June of 2013, that I celebrated um, 10 years since my back surgery. And so I celebrated by getting a tattoo along my, um, the side of my back, um, my scar. Um, and then a week later, um, I went out on a track day on the motorcycle and, uh, 
about a week or two after that, I was in a motorcycle accident. Oh, man. And it was bad. It was actually on my birthday. It was on my 26th birthday. Man. Um, and it was really bad. <laughs> and wow. I'm... Um, I, I hit some gravel in a, in a corner, um, and I rode a street bike, um, and I ended up going off the road and, um, I hit head on a raised driveway and just catapulted me and the bike through the air. Um, at some point in the air, I separated from the bike and I landed on the left side of my body underneath a tree with my right hip propped up against the trunk of the tree. So that's how close I was. Um, and I shattered my leg. I broke my pelvis. I sprained my wrist and I displaced three of my cervical vertebra. Wow. Um, to- and I totaled my bike, you know, the most thank, important thing. There. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. um, if I was your father, yeah. I would have gone and burned that bike, stole it. Well, unfortunately, uh, my husband had to make the phone call to my parents, who are two states away, (laughs) to let them know that I had just been loaded up in an ambulance and I was on my way to the emergency room. (laughs) Oh, your poor parents. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I, but because of my medical training, um, the homeowner, because I wrecked in someone's front yard, you know, she comes out at some point. Um, this was after I had tossed my phone because I always traveled with my cell phone inside my my jacket pocket for some reason. And now I know why, you know, it was because I was, you know, God was preparing me for this. <laughs> and so I, w- I actually Dude. was able to get to my cell phone <laughs> oh, and wow. call 911 after I called my husband who was ahead of me, but he did not see me wreck. Um, and I got so fed up with 911 because I couldn't, I mean, I was in shock. I couldn't remember what road I was on. And so I was so fed up with them that I tossed my cell phone. They were still on the, they were still on the phone. And I just like tossed my cell phone into the grass. I'm like, I'm not talking to them anymore. <laughs> and the homeowner came out eventually. And, and so she was on the phone with 911 as well. And she offered me some water. And by this point, my husband had found me. And, um, and I said, well, I know that I'm going to have to have surgery and the anesthesiologist would be upset with me if I drank water. So I'm just going to rinse my mouth out. <laughs> so I was, even though I was in shock, you know, all of my, my training, my medical training like kicked in <laughs> and I didn't even drink water, <laughs> but, wow. um, you know, eventually, um, ambulance comes, you know, they, they haul me off, um, and I, I remember telling them in the, in the emergency room that, you know, I had been addicted to, uh, had been, you know, <laughs> at this point I, I had yet to realize that I was an alcoholic, that I was, you know, full blown addict. <laughs> um, and so I, I told them of my medical history and, um, that I had a very high tolerance and they kind of. I felt like they kind of, you know, brushed me off. Um, but they ended up having a, a PA, a, a physician's assistant, 
follow me around in the ER as I'm going to, um, you know, get a CT to make sure that, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, that they can get the cervical collar off of me to make sure that they're not going to be paralyzed. And while I'm, you know, getting my x-rays done and that PA is following me around to keep giving me more pain meds because they couldn't get my pain under control. Um, and I ended up going into emergency surgery that night and it was another day and a half until my pain was finally under control. <sighs> wow. Um, What'd they have you on? <laughs> uh, or do you remember? I believe I, gosh, I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. I want to say it was Darvacet and morphine, and then they sent me home with Percocet. Okay. But I, yeah, yeah. I can't Bad remember. Shape. Bad shape, lots of drugs, and okay. All right, so then go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I eventually get home, and I, I mean, I can't do anything for myself. I can't even sit up. Um, and so my mom flies up to help take care of me. Um, well, rather to help take care of me and my husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we, <laughs> my husband and his youngest sister completely moved our household so that my bedroom or the master bedroom was now on the main floor of our three level condo. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You're mm-hmm. not going up any stairs. No, no, no. I got no, you. no. <laughs> um, and so now, you know, I'm, I'm stuck at home and I can't do anything. Um, it wasn't even so much the leg. It was the pelvis. I do not recommend breaking your pelvis because you can't do anything without moving your pelvis. <laughs> I don't recommend um, getting a motorcycle. <laughs> that too, but uh, especially after I've gone through years of back pain, surgeries. Oh my god! Anyway, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> um, and uh, you know my my girlfriend who I would drink with, um, she would come over. And, uh, so that she could, you know, give my mom a break. And so she'd come into the house and she'd hand me handful of pills and, and a mixed drink, which we all know really wasn't a mixed drink. It was gin. Neat. <laughs> no, I, I moved up to vodka by this. Point. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. The other clear uh, liquor. Yeah, another clear liquid. You know, less calories, right? Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so then that's that's how I spent the next what I guess nine months recovering. Wow, wow, mm-hmm. insane! Mm-hmm. Nine months of bed rest. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, once I finally recovered from my motorcycle accident, um, you know, I, I still don't have a problem <laughs> in my mind. I still don't have a problem. Right. Um, yes. but, but I did recognize, um, the danger of, uh, you know, prescription pills for pain. And, um, and so I decided that I wanted to go to massage school, 
um, to help people like me who had a history of chronic Mm -hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. And so I suppose you can say that that's kind of the beginning of the end for me. (laughs) Um, And I think it was probably, so that would have been, gosh, what, end of summer 2014. Um, And I start massage school. And then that's, you know, when I was, like I'd get up in the morning sick to my stomach and I'd be shaking. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that these were the signs of, you know, being in withdrawal. Um, D- DTs, acute mm-hmm. withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I did start taking the online tests to see if, you know, if you're an alcoholic. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it says, you know, you should probably get some help. I'm like, oh, what do they know? Ah, yeah, yeah. At the end of it, it's like, you pass. <laughs> you need help. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you, you try to... You try to change your answers so that it changes its right. result. And uh, so, you know, I... <laughs> that's the insanity of it. Right. (laughs) You know, I, I know, I know in my head that I have a problem, but I can't accept that yet. (laughs) Um, you know, it it takes another couple of years for me to accept that. Um, and, uh, but I got through massage school somehow (laughs) and I passed boards somehow. (laughs) Um, and, um, I think I probably, that's when I started doing the, um, well, you know, I know, I know that I need to do something about my drinking. Um, so now it's only after 5 PM or it's only after a certain time or it's only wine because everyone drinks wine and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I'm getting more serious about my, um, <laughs> uh, my requirements, my rules. <laughs> um, and it was over kind of the course of the next few months. So from summer of 2015 to summer of 2016, that uh, then, you know, my husband was really catching on. Um, and we tried to do um, like dry January. <laughs> and um, but there's, months. you know... <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's always a reason to drink. Oh, well, it's right. someone's birthday. And always. you know, you, you, you have to, you know, that's mm-hmm. a requirement, a birthday drink. Or, um, you know, well, there's vodka soaked gummy bears. Well, that's not really drinking because it's a gummy bear. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the insanity is just, um, you know, getting out of control. My husband's noticing I'm, st- I'm hiding, you know, I'm, I have my hiding places around the house. Um, he's starting to put, um, you know, lines on the bottles so that he can monitor, um, you know, monitor the level and it, but you know, I'm, I'm smarter than that. So I just fill, fill back up to the line with water, with water, <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, not recognizing that he's probably going to notice when he <laughs> decides that he wants to drink or, you know, when you have dark rum and you fill it up with water, it gets lighter, <laughs> you know, 
So just, you know, all those things that in, you know, I would have assumed my- at some point you would have figured out that, you know, you just need to get some iced tea. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in my addict brain, it just, you know, it doesn't click. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so then I, I started having um, days of like anxiety attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking that um, that by drinking, you know, I'm helping my anxiety. Mm-hmm. But I know now that, you know, I'm I'm feeding it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, those those hours or however long I would go without having a drink, you know, it's because of the, you know, the detoxing and the, and the withdrawal, that's just sending my anxiety higher. And then I'm like, oh, well, I need to drink more. And so, you know, that just downward spiral of, of how sick I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom, we've had my mom fly up another, another time because um, I just, I was in such an unhealthy place. And we didn't know what to do yet. You know, everyone recognized that something needed to be done, yep, but yeah. because I wasn't forthcoming with how much I was drinking and, you know, how much I was hiding, you know, you, you can't help me if I don't tell you right. what I need help. With. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, even my, even my doctor's like, gee, your triglycerides are awfully high for someone your age. I'm like, I don't know why, (laughs) you know, just this total, you know, not giving up that information. Um, And then it was finally on, uh, it was a Friday, Friday, July 22nd of, um, of 2016. Uh, I had been, I didn't work on Fridays. I did manage to hold a job. Um, And I had been drinking all day. My husband was going to be home. And so, you know, I needed to make dinner and, um, uh, I was really in a blackout, but I was cutting chicken breast and I ended up almost chopping off my thumb. Um, the last thing that I remember is staring at, you know, my hand just covered in blood and then, Next thing I know, I'm waking up at home. It's night. I'm in bed and I have a giant bandage on my hand. And um, I asked my my husband what happened, hoping that it's all, you know, kind of like the the foggy, somewhat sort of memories that I have, hoping it's all a bad dream. And and he he was he was mad. (laughs) He said, we'll talk about it in the morning. Go to sleep. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is not good. Um, luckily I had enough sense in me to call 911. Um, and so the ambulance came and I left the house barefoot. I did remember my keys and my cell phone. Um, and they took me to the hospital. Um, I don't know if I called my husband or if the medics did, um, but told him to meet us at the emergency room. Um, I ended up getting seven stitches in my thumb and I guess I, 
was yelling in the emergency room, I'm sorry and I need help. Um, my husband um, asked them to test my blood alcohol level. Um, this actually was not the first time I had ended up in the hospital because of my drinking, but we had attributed it previously to, you know, anxiety or depression, whatever it was. Um, but so he, he pressured the doctors to check my blood alcohol level. Um, and they, they didn't know why, you know, he's like, no, I, I really want you to check it. And so this had been a few hours after I had been, you know, I hadn't had a drink and, um, it came back at 0.34. Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I was was totally waiting for one of those. (laughs) And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having full conversations. I'm walking, I'm talking, you know, we just, we build up that level and, and they were astounded. Yeah. (laughs) They were like, can you run these again? (laughs) yeah and um and so then I think my husband was talking to I don't know if it was a nurse or social worker or who it was who um then gave him um our local intergroups contact information um as well as I think some detox facilities I like I said I I don't remember any of that so that's all you know what they tell me um And so the next morning, um, he was on the phone at 7.30 in the morning with our intergroups 24-hour hotline. Um, And I was checking into detox at by 1 o'clock that afternoon. Um, But I didn't have anything to drink that day that I checked in. And so when I blew a zero checking into detox saying, you know, I want help. Um, (laughs) the nurse looked at me and she said, really, because you don't have anything in your system or, you know, you're blowing a zero. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm trying to tell her, well, you know, you see this bandage on my hand, you know, I was just in the emergency room last night with a 0.34. And I felt like, well, this isn't the place for me, but I was there for five days. Oh, thank um, God. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Well, my husband had already left, so there wasn't a, <laughs> there wasn't an option thank for me to God. not be there. <laughs> um, and so I was there for five days, and then um, I was transferred to um, an inpatient facility, um, to an all-women's facility, um, in Kirkland, Washington at residence 12 and they actually picked me up and they took me to treatment. I was there for 30 days. Um, my husband visited me every single day that he could while I was in treatment and he was working and he was taking care of the pets. Um, and you know, he, him and his brother went through our house. I told them where all of my hiding spots were. They got rid of everything in the house, including the Benadryl, which I abused. <laughs> um, you know, they got rid of everything. Um, and, you know, when when he told people that I was in treatment, 
the response that he got from some people was, wow, we thought it would be you. And that was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Him. Him. Mm hmm. But, you know, a lot. He he was a social drinker. He drank heavily socially, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but he didn't have, you know, he didn't have that addict mind where Uh it was, you know, he had to. Wow. But, But because of his heavy social drinking, he got that. We thought it would be you. And that that hit him hard. That was um, that was definitely a a blow to his gut, to say the least. Yeah. Wow. Well, which is great because if he took it in a positive way, you uh-huh. coming out of there, what you needed was sobriety, not just from for for yourself, but for him as well. Not having any alcohol in the house is is paramount. Yeah. I mean, because I, I've talked to, um, you know, women in the program. Um, I, I still go back to meetings at, um, at my rehab facility and, um, you know, and I'll, I'll do the, the panel where, you know, alumni come in and we share our stories. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the questions that women have is, well, what if, you know, my partner doesn't want to give up drinking? And I feel so incredibly lucky and blessed to have a husband who is so supportive that, you know, I didn't even have to ask him to make the house dry. He, he did that knowing that that's what I needed to come home to. Um, and he, he doesn't drink around me. He's actually decided not to drink, period. I mean, he could probably count on one hand, you know, how many times he's had a drink in the last two years. And he's like, it just doesn't have the appeal that it once did. And then, of course, me, I'm like, that's not fair. (laughs) He's definitely not an addict. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stop. I'm just going to (laughs) stop. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's all about me. So, you know, I have to bring it back to it's all about me. Well, I mean, seriously, I I get it, I get it, right? And I can't even imagine what it's like to get a phone call yet again. My wife's in the hospital, and then she's blacked out, doesn't know what happened, you know. Yeah. And it could have been so much worse. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, after I got out of out of inpatient, um, then I did. I did IOP. I did continuing care. Um, you know, I was, I was very involved in recovery. However, my, my fault, which brought me to, um, relapsing was, I was like, I'm doing awesome. I can stop my meds. (laughs) I totally get that too. Congratulations. Yeah, I beat this, you know. No, I beat this with another control substance. mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And so at six months sober, without 
consulting anyone. I was like, I'm doing fantastic. And so I stopped taking my gabapentin. I stopped taking my Prozac. And what do you know? Six weeks later, I relapsed. <laughs> yeah, you know, not surprising I just, at all. Yeah, I just, you know, I had not... Um, I didn't understand, even though I, you know, I, I guess I, I understood the disease. I understood, um, how detrimental mental health is. You know, I, I get that that's mm -hmm. hard. I don't like, the, that sounds like I'm, you know, just kind of brushing it off. But at the time I was, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was not recognizing, um, that, even though I felt good and, you know, I, I had this built up this sober time, um, you know, more sobriety than I had had since I was 12. Um, I did not recognize that I was still a sick person. It's a false sense and of security. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it was over the next few months that, um, I would, you know, kind of get a few weeks of sobriety mm -hmm. or I'd get three months of sobriety, but you know, I just, I never worked on the emotional sobriety. I never mm -hmm. worked on, um, on, you know, developing the relationship with my higher power with, mm -hmm. you know, I, there were areas that I was severely lacking and I didn't recognize that at the time and I'm grateful that I can recognize it now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, and, um, you know, my, my last, uh, relapse, there were divorce papers on the table. Good for him. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we set boundaries. I agreed to yep. those boundaries uh, and then, word. And my addict just blew right through those boundaries. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and, you know, that's the thing. It, the, another takeaway here in this moment is to recognize how important boundaries are. They are not here to hurt us. They are mm -hmm. here to save our lives. And the minute you cross that boundary and you know, who, you know, if you said it with your husband, you cross the boundary and he allows you to cross the boundary, then a new boundary just got set, right? Which means the right. old boundary no longer exists. And so the purpose of that no longer exists either, you know, right. and, and, and his, his recognition that if I don't stay strong to my resolve here, we're going to go backwards and I don't know what I'm going to shape. I'm going to find her in next time, you know, so... Yeah, that's like he, he told me that he's so afraid. He said, you know, I don't, it's not that I want a divorce. You know, I don't want that to happen. But, um, you know, and, and he said, you know, I'm terrified that if you don't commit to your recovery and if you don't commit to getting and staying sober, I'm terrified that, you know, one day I'm going to drive, you know, around the corner and you're going to be that one sitting on the corner begging to feed your addiction. There you have it. There you have it. And that, that really brought it real to me. Yeah. Because I have a lot of yets. Yep. We all do. Mm -hmm. We all do. Nobody's safe. 
An addict's an addict's an addict. The yets are always there for us. The minute we, we let off the gas, we stop being vigilant um, and we stop mm-hmm. protecting and taking care and nurturing our recovery, then it's a ticking time bomb before the, before the inevitable happens. Right. Just recently, I don't know if you, if, if you heard, but uh, you know, the Dopey yeah. Podcast, Chris I was the just Dope- listening to it this weekend. Yeah. And he, he, yeah, over, overdosed. Yeah. And you know, that just, uh, you know, it makes me sick to my stomach knowing mm-hmm. how many of us out there are hurting and we're mm-hmm. sick. And, mm-hmm. and then just knowing that, you know, you can be doing everything. And then just that one time, you know, you, you go back out and, and that's it. That could be it. <laughs> it's the inability to be vulnerable. It's the inability to to find the humility in your recovery again. Um, it's isolating. It is. It's not even thinking that maybe I can get away with this time. This time, but we get into these situations, especially early on in recovery. If you start to develop these, it's easy to become a celebrity these days. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- that's what we did. I mean, I'm a celebrity today just because I launched the podcast, you know, and there's quite a few of us, you know, there's Paul Churchill, there's Shane Raymer, there's, you know, Dave and Chris, there's the bubble hour. I mean, you just go to Tommy Rosen. I mean, I just, you know, uh, she recovers. I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on and on. And what happens is that, you know, you get to a certain point where all of a sudden you find yourself in pain and you're like, well, I can't come out and talk about, you know, I'm feeling weak or I'm vulnerable or I've got these problems. You know, I have an image to protect. I have an image to uphold, right? And so sometimes we find it difficult, right, to let go of that, let go of what is available to us, which is humility. Humility and vulnerability will save your life. And so when you're in pain, right, we have an obligation to ourselves to ask for help, right? And to, and to break the silence, right? Um, and so, yeah, no, it's not that you're doing everything right. It's that you think you're doing everything right. And the minute you think you're doing everything right alone, that's when it happens. That's when it gets you. You know what I mean? And that's what's important about, you know, your marriage. You know, I love everything about, you know, you getting sober because, and I love the fact that you say that we got sober and it's our disease and, you know, we're battling this thing together because there is that we aspect that you recognize that me by myself, I'm doomed, right? And he holds me accountable. And not only does he hold me accountable, he participates in the recovery process, right? By not enabling me, by sending strong boundaries, right? By, by, Leading by example, all positives, right? Mm-hmm. You are not alone. You know, it's a it's a wonderful example. So tell us about tell us about this first year of recovery. It hasn't been easy. <laughs> you know, it hasn't been easy, but but that's okay. Um, you know, I've I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about 
um, my childhood. I've learned a lot about my disease. I've learned a lot about my marriage. Um, and, and yet, even though it hasn't been easy and it's definitely had, you know, plenty of rough spots, it's fantastic because, you know, I'm alive today and I have, you know, the opportunity to, um, to tell someone I get it. You know, I, I hear you. (laughs) I know what you're going through. (laughs) And, um, I don't know. I'm like, I'm speechless about it, you know, <laughs> because I never thought I'd be here. Yeah. Yeah. Never. I get you. I get you. Which is why I um, ask. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes um, it's like, I can't even believe I made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of really great opportunities, um, you know, just with, um, like with work and, um, with the populations that I've been able to, uh, work with, um, with my, you know, injury patients and, um, I'm one, my next project on the board is working on a continuing education class for Mm -hmm. massage therapists, um, based on working with, with addicts. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's, there's really nothing out there for people in my work, um, you know, besides doing a Google search and reading articles online, um, which is fine. You know, that's, that's great to, you know, get educated on it. Um, but, but I think that, um, you know, it, it really, I think it's a needed class, um, for massage therapists to have the opportunity to take if they, if they want to, because there are a lot of us out there, you know, there are a lot of addicts out there, whether you're in recovery or not. Um, and, you know, recognizing how, um, how incredibly helpful, uh, you know, alternative treatment methods, alternative, you know, holistic modalities Mm -hmm. are. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I have had the opportunity to um, go to, let's see, in the past year or so since June 13th of, you know, 2017, um, three women's retreats, um, which has just been fantastic. Um, oh, I've, okay. um, yeah. And, and two of them, um, is one that my, my treatment facility, you know, puts on and, um, and I've been able to be a part of that planning process, which has just been, you know, really, really incredible. Um, you know, I've, um, been able to be present, um, for, you know, friends and family when they've gone through, um, maybe, a you know, a death or an accident or an injury and, and being able to be fully present for them. I mean, at the drop of a hat, um, that never would have happened. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, a really good friend of mine, she, um, ended up having to have her appendix out and I was able to, get up at, I don't know, 
six in the morning, seven in the morning, how, whatever time it was and, you know, pick up another friend of ours and, you know, be with her at the hospital. That never would have happened. <laughs> so the, the beautiful thing is the beautiful thing is that it, this is something that is still so new to you that it's still like kind of kind of like wearing a new outfit. I'm yes. still I'm, I'm still a new pair of shoes. I'm still breaking it in, right? I'm uh-huh. still I'm still getting used to this. But you know, the takeaways for our listeners is the level of vigilance right now just not just from you, but but for your husband and as a team and as a couple. There's regular meetings attendance that you're going to, right? There's the healing that you do when you work with your clients, right? There's the church aspect, which connects you spiritually very, very strong and bonds you together with your husband as you guys walk through this journey together. So it's not as if, it's not as if, whoop, you know, it just, it just kind of happened and I made it a year later. Yeah. So many different things had to change in my life for this to be a possibility for me to be happy and for me to stay married. Right. I had to be committed to the process. Um, and that's what I see. That's what I see. I see that that's exactly what you've done and I'm proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So we're already an hour and a half in, so it's time to uh, shut her down. And here I was thinking, well, I don't know if I'll have enough to talk about. <laughs> that never happens. Ever. <laughs> True. All right. All right. So, Corey, for the newcomers, I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery. Right? Okay. And I want you to answer for the newcomers. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So, number one, initially... What was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Um, being boring. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that I, I didn't you. think that I'd be able to have fun mm-hmm. being sober. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is definitely far from it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's the, the notion yeah. is ridiculous to say the least, you know. I don't know about you, but waking up in a hospital, you know, not knowing how I got there, blowing a 3.34, doesn't sound like a lot of fun. No, no, it doesn't. Of course, it's not boring either. <laughs> no, no, you know, it's a story, right? <laughs> Couldn't help it. Sorry. All right. So, Corey, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening? That aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? You know, probably finding out that a, um, a friend that I went to school with had nine years of sobriety. And I'm like, well, If she went to the, you know, she grew up where I did. She went to the same, you know, school that I did. She was in the college town that I was. If she can do it, I think I can do it. Oh, that's spectacular. (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. We stop looking at the differences. We start looking at the similarities. And then we go, you know what? If she can do it, I can do it. I'm down. Let's do this. Okay. So... Number three, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our newcomers that you read in early recovery? 
Um, probably either living sober. I read that while I was in treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, oh, actually, I wrote this one down because I knew I was going to forget it. Recovering spirituality. Achieving emotional sobriety. Yes, yes. That one was huge for me. And I would say that, you know, as you work the steps, you start to get that that emotional maturity, right? You start to develop a, a foundation, a found a good a good emotional emotional sobriety, emotional foundation. You know, you start to heal emotionally from the from the past. Um, right. And I think that that's a byproduct of working the steps. But yeah. diving into it head first to really understand the inner workings of how basically everything in our life is associated to our emotional state. Everything. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything that we do, we do it because it either feels good or feels bad. We either do it or don't do it because of the way it makes us feel. And mm-hmm. so getting a, a stronger, more in-depth understanding of how our emotions play a role and, you know, especially even in early sobriety, you know I mean, right. it is key. So I love that because that, that hasn't come up enough, right? The, the whole idea of, of healing uh, the emotional wounds. So we got those. All right. So then number four, what's the best suggestion you have ever received? You, you just said it was the looking for the similarities, because we, you know, when our addict is so in control, we are looking for the differences. And, um, you know, that's, that's really been a huge part for me is remembering that, um, you know, I can go into a meeting and I can walk out at least with one thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. If in mm-hmm. that 60 minutes that I'm in that room, if I hear one thing, you know, it was a good reason for me to go to that meeting, you know? Absolutely. Um, uh, and to stop looking for those differences, because then that's that's when we get into the, whether it be, I don't deserve to be sober, you know, I don't deserve sobriety, or, oh, well, you know, that person is so much worse than I am. You know, we're, we're looking at those differences as opposed to what's, well, what's the one thing that's similar? We're all sick. You know, there it is right there. That's the one thing that we can all see in each other is, you know, at one point or another, we're all sick. I'm going to throw one more question before I get to the final one, because I'm curious. If you were going to write an autobiography of your life, what would the title of the book be? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I have no idea. That is a good question. (laughs) I just thought I'd throw it out there because I always title the, I title every episode, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... Sometimes I get stuck as to, you know, what, what, what do I title this episode? So I asked it before, and so I'm curious as to how someone would title the book of their lives or even this interview. Mm-hmm. The one I liked so far was, what was the name, what was the name of that thing that, that would release the, the drugs? What was it called? Something Pump? Oh, the Pain Pump? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> that more- sounds like a cool name, the Pain Pump. 
pain pump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was an idea. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, and there was another, you know, I like the other one too. You know, every seven minutes. Yeah. It's a strong, yep. that's a powerful, you know, every seven minutes, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a powerful reminder. All right. So yeah. anyway, yeah. ideas. So number five, <laughs> if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, initially I got out of treatment um, adamant that relapse was not going to be a part of my story. And, um, and I think because I was so set on that, you know, I had a really hard time um, when I did relapse and then really getting back into it because I did want to give up. You know, I was like, this is, I can't do it. You know, don't give up, you know, um, just keep, keep fighting, uh, you know, all the, all the silly little AA cliches that, you know, keep coming back and the, you know, let us love you until you can love yourself. I think that's probably my favorite right now (laughs) because that is so true. And I used to roll my eyes. (laughs) We all did. Yeah. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh man, I'm that person now, (laughs) Yeah, you know? Don't don't give up because no matter what, we're we're all worth being sober. Don't give up five minutes before the miracle happens. Yes, absolutely. That's one yeah. of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. Corey, wow. Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing your story with us today. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Whew, roller coaster ride. Yeah. <laughs> You are a miracle, my dear. You are a miracle. Oh, we all are. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, we certainly are. We certainly are. All right. So, folks, we have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, pura vida. Pura vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.